0: relationships to typefaces at a very different scale. There are definitely some parallels to designing portions of a building.
1: Rachel Geiser is an architect and educator who founded the Houston-based firm MG & Co. with his partner, Noemi Mollet, in 2010. The firm designs built works, print matter, environmental graphics, and installations, with some of their recent projects including environmental graphics for the Manil Collection, and the UCLA Graduate Art Studios. Reito is also an Associate Professor and Director of Undergraduate Studies at Rice University School of Architecture. Today we're excited to talk with Reito about the different facets of his firm's work. Let's dive in. So today we have Raito Geiser on the podcast. Raito, thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Just to kind of preface our conversation today, your firm does a lot of more traditional architectural work in the built environment, but you also do a lot of things with graphics, whether that be designing books, environmental graphics, exhibitions, signage. So I wanted to kind of focus our conversation a little bit more on that today just to give our listeners a little uh, preview. First off, how do you begin making design decisions about books, thinking about, for context, you've done the graphic design for the Atlas of Novel Tectonics for Reiser and Umemoto, and you later designed and authored Gideon and America. So what is the process for designing those, or how do you kind of begin with a task like that?
0: I think I have to clarify first, Atlas of Novel Tectonics is a book I designed in collaboration with Donald Mack good friend who also works for Bruce Mao around the same time when I did, and it was one of our first independent projects. Um, Gideon and America is based on my scholarship, so I'm the author, and I collaborated with the graphic design firm, but I did not design it. But nevertheless, I think they are actually two interesting projects to talk about your question. So Atlas of Novel Tectonics started in 2000 so about six years before it was published is a very slow project and 2000 was a time when a lot of these mega books were published in the aftermath of SMLXL, it was a time when printing got really much more affordable when uh, the chinese market opened for printing in many ways and um, a lot of printing was done overseas at much more affordable cost and so a lot of architects started to produce these big books, many pages, glossy, full color, not much editing. And when Jesse and uh, Nanako Reiser Numemoto approached us to design the book, we basically started off as we always would, trying to understand their practice. They were trained at Cooper Union, lots of hand drafting, hand modeling, the sort of analog side of things is very much present in the practice, even when we got to know them. Lots of amazing models made out of wax, And at the same time, they were also working with cutting-edge computer technology at that moment. They were modeling in Maya and in other 3D programs. And so it was this practice between different modes of working, between different times of working in this transitional moment still. We wanted to respond both to that, but also to this particular moment in publishing. The book is called an atlas, but it has the size of a brevier of a kind of pocket book. It's very compact in its format. That was intentional. Also, this may be slightly uh, contradictory appearance at first. So we wanted to work with the old, but we also wanted to translate it into a contemporary context. The cover, for instance, is held in a curious contemporary material that's mostly used for packaging, not really mm-hmm. for book applications. So we're interested in materials also. And then Gideon in America is a very different story. So that's a, a book that contains about 10 years of my scholarly life and it was clear to me that I would not want to be the designer for my own book because I felt like I needed distance to it. Even though I'm practicing together with Noemi Mollet, my wife, there is a kind of different perspective within the practice, but it felt like that would be too close to home. And it's really this kind of collaborative way of working that I think defines the projects in our firm, but then also defines such collaborations outside of the firm. I think most decisions are driven by content, by concepts that are part of the scholarship or part of the artwork when you work with artists or part of the architectural practice. We really try to understand those types of contexts in order to derive graphic form out of that.
1: And so it seems like having a very detailed process and looking and understanding context seems very similar to kind of the design process, where you're making decisions about the typeface or materials that are going into the book, just as you would make decisions about materials on an architectural project, and then also trying to understand contexts in both cases. Um, Do you think there are any other similarities between designing buildings and designing books? It seems The connection is very clear to you but i think that would be something that might be interesting for our listeners
0: typography for instance i think is very architectural in many ways if you zoom into a letter form of a typeface and you start to look at it closely uh, a serif is not anymore just like a serif there's a big difference between times new roman that a lot of people use on their computer compared to times even though it has pretty much the same name. There are definitely some parallels to designing uh, proportions of a building. their are proportional relationships to typefaces at a very different scale. And there's actually even some kind of functionality, um, as you could claim there is in, in, in architecture as well, right? Uh, when it comes to materialization or also production processes, I think there are many things that are similar, maybe not directly, but also indirectly. You have to figure out how you will produce something in print and in architecture and you have to understand what the level of craft is that you have access to whatever the technique is and that kind of limits certain possibilities and offers other opportunities and you have to choose the appropriate medium to achieve the result that you're interested in and i think it's very similar when we work on an architectural scale and we we choose one material over another or we choose one way of working with the material over another. I think also pushing the limit is something that I think is very similar in graphic design as it is in architecture.
1: Uh, We touched on this a little bit previously already, but architectural works, they have a spatial reading inherent to them just because of their three-dimensional quality, physical character. But you would argue, I think, that books are also spatial in their own way, right?
0: I absolutely agree. Books are architectural, they're spatial, They're not flat. And like in architecture where we design, let's say, spatial sequences, we design, in the case of books, the space that unfolds between two covers. We organize the way in which information is laid out in the book, in which ways it is organized. We modulate the relationship between text and images, between white space and, let's say, for instance, text heavy areas, and that allows us to basically define the pace of the reader, um, how they experience a book, how fast they read the book, or where we slow them down. In that sense, it's very much based on the relationship between space and time as it develops within a book, and through that we essentially shape the experience that a reader has and the reader's immersion into the space of the book.
1: And you kind of touched on this a little bit, zooming in just right into the typeface. And then kind of when you're working on a building, you're zooming out a little bit. You're working across all these different kinds of skills, like the macro and kind of the micro. What do you think having that opportunity affords you? Or like, what have you learned from that, uh, looking at different skills?
0: I think it's always critical to understand the small in order to operate on the big or vice versa, understanding the kind of larger scale in order to operate on the smaller one. And I think that's both true in architecture and in any kind of graphic endeavor. When we work on environmental graphics, I think we engage with the building in a very meticulous way. We really have to understand the building inside out. I mean, as you as you do when it's year on, but I think more so than if you would just visit a building and you start to kind of see things that you might have not noticed if you would just the regular architectural tourist, right? Mm-hmm. And I think from these uh, close readings, you learn a lot about architecture in general, I would say. We learned a lot about how people occupy buildings and how they move through buildings, because that's at the end of the day what we have to anticipate when we work on wayfinding. We have to find ways in which we can essentially make up for the things that architecture cannot communicate, So ideally, I guess a building is designed in a way that it can communicate as much as possible for itself. And so that our job when we do environmental graphics is really reduced to a minimum. That's at least what I would sort of believe in. And I think understanding what that means, I think eventually also loops back into our own practice when we design on a larger scale. So I think there are lots of connections forth and back. And I think transcending scales is really critical to our practice. Mm
1: several of your recent projects you did the environmental graphics for the Mineo collection and also the UCLA graduate art studios work with type at the scale of the building um, so you had to do signage and room labels. How do you begin to tackle the challenge of embedding these design interventions into these buildings that were already pre-existing um, and had kind of identities?
0: Environmental graphics are essentially almost a perfect marriage between architecture and graphic design and, um, really is like one of these tasks that allows us to bring in the expertise from both ends. Um, I think it takes a lot of uh, architectural spatial comprehension in order to be able to grasp the complexities of these projects and then you engage on a very typographic level in many ways. So one thing that I think is important that not all the projects are pre-existing in many ways. We come in sort of early on in the process. Um, In some projects, we were part of the RFP, um, so before even the design of the building actually started. And it could be in some cases also sort of uh, an after-the-fact approach to trading wayfinding for a building. But the the Mineral Collection was a ground-up building. In that case, we came in comparatively late in the process, but things were still far from being finished, so there are a lot of opportunities. In the case of the Menil, and I think Menil and UCLA are are very interesting as very different examples for that kind of work, so in the case of the Menil, we were basically tasked not just to do environmental graphics for the Drawing Institute, but we were actually hired directly by the Menil to work on a kind of larger campus wayfinding project and to basically think about their identity at large through buildings and so the first thing we really had to do was like a lot of analysis of who the Menil collection is, what their identity is, how their identity had been manifested to that point graphically through many different products from like books that they produced to stationery letterheads, how even current museum buildings were named and we realized very soon that there wasn't really a very strong system in place which was also beautiful in many ways. Like the Menil is a very bottom up organization and an organization that as opposed to a museum of modern art or even the Museum of Fine Arts here in Houston, doesn't have this identity that's just kind of pressed and everything. And so our challenge is really how to maintain some of these qualities while also helping people to understand the complexities of this campus more easily and also to figure out ways in which the new building could be treated, but at the same time also how some of that could be projected back onto the existing building that needed um, some additional layers of information embedded. Um, The building was, was crucial. I mean, the building is really also what one responds to. And we felt that the Drawing Institute had a very clear diagram. I think it's a building that doesn't need too much signage it's extremely well organized and it also seemed essential for that type of architecture not to kind of clutter it with um, too much noise on the walls
1: Mm -hmm. so then after you did this kind of more minimal signage for the menil you if I'm understanding it correctly got the project for UCLA and they kind of referenced the menil project but then you had to contend with that idea that they kind of had a preconception of what they wanted, and the Graduate Art Studios is like a very different building than the Moneal, so how did you kind of work with going against what they kind of had already preconceived their graphics to look like?
0: It's, it's a good observation, it's true. Interestingly, actually, UCLA came in through an, an RFP in collaboration with Johnson Markley, And the two projects uh, were awarded pretty much two weeks apart from one another, but Menil was on a very steep timeline because the building was already in construction. UCLA construction hadn't started yet, and so the timeline was a bit slower. And it's true that they were aware of what we did at the Menil, and it did come up in a number of conversations. We visited the building, and that was a really sort of decisive um, experience. graduate art studios um, in Culver City existed before, and the project is essentially an adaptive reuse um, project. It's an expansion and a renovation of the existing um, building. And so we could visit the studios as they were still used at the time. And it was this amazing experience of just seeing an unbelievable array of ad hoc Um, signage uh, from little door tags that each artist individually created for their studio to locks that were different for each studio to all these kind of temporary signs that were up and indicated things and it was really this cacophony of uh, typographic sounds or almost noise And it was clear that there was this spirit to a lot of individuality in this building and a lot of artistic energy that became very clear to me would be something that we would not want to hamper in any way or it was clear that we could not interfere with that to the fullest degree so the challenge is really as opposed to the manila where it's clear this is like one of the foremost museums in the united states and it's the first ever drawing institute and you create this kind of really It's this pristine environment um, for amazing works of art. It's a museum context. Uh, UCLA was clearly an educational institution. And just also from my experience here at the school, I knew that there has to be flexibility for creative output by the students. And you can't uh, govern every poster that it looks the same, right? And that's part of what makes a design school environment exciting. Then, and then there was the um, institutional setup that was very different, too. The Menela is a really small, comparatively um, non-profit organization where key people who take decisions are very closely involved in the projects. UCLA as I, I guess, one of the larger universities in this country, a government institution with lots of uh, rules and regulations that are actually mandated also. Um, on them. So, a very different process on that level, also given institutional corporate brand guidelines. And for instance, that rule that you had to use UCLA Gothic was something that came in very early. And that at first felt like it could be a potential straitjacket. And then, thanks to the particular character of the building and the kind of response that that triggered for us, we came up with alternative versions of that same typeface based on the same outline that allowed us to create these kind of different voices for different things in the building. This kind of character of maybe at first glance inconsistency, if you just look at the different typefaces, did not instantly resonate well with everybody. And I think that's just what these projects are about too you have different constituencies that you work with you have uh, administrators from the university you have uh, the people who are in charge of running the construction projects that you deal with you're working with the architects that you also respond to then there's the school and the professors of the school who were initially part of the conversations too they have a very particular perspective on things. And then there's development or advancement, as it's called in other places. And they basically come in with the perspective also of the donors and how they have to recognize them and how they can raise the money that they need to raise in order to make these buildings happen. Uh, Again, I think for that project, we did probably even more mock-ups in terms of producing each sign type. And it was essentially through these full-scale mock-ups, these samples that showed the materiality, that showed the kind of haptic quality and the elegance that they had through that, that we managed to convince people involved. But it was super critical to us that a project like that has to be treated differently from an institutional project. And I think that's the same actually with on the level of the architecture. The Menil is sort of perfectly finished and UCLA, the art school, has wood framing that is actually revealed above the eight foot height of the drywall and you can see the framing and there's a certain roughness to the character of the building and so some of these uh, concepts ideas understandings are really also sort of working very closely with the architects uh, of the building I think that's a super critical component of it like we really sort of operated as a team it's a collaborative effort we we worked hand in hand and I think only through that some of these concepts could be developed on our end
1: yeah, and I mean, it's just just like in design, you wouldn't design a museum and then like in a school the same way. So why would the signage or identity of that building have the same form or have the same like final expression, I think?
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think you could see it also, even here in Houston, comparing different art institutions. I mean, the Blaffer Gallery is different from the Museum of Fine Arts is different from CAM, right? CAM has a very different character as a building, but also as an institution and also as like what art is being presented. So I think each of these contexts, each of these projects really ask for an appropriate response and that's something that we're trying to do based on quite meticulous research and understanding the institutions, understanding the client through a very intense collaboration with our clients.
1: Mm -hmm. One of the things about environmental graphics is that it is something you almost have to experience in person. I think you've said that it's very hard to photograph them. So I guess what I'm wondering is, I guess it's kind of hard to market yourself when you really want the building and the wayfinding to kind of speak for itself. But in that sense, it doesn't really end up being represented well for like people to see in other places or you can't really experience it at a digital level almost.
0: I think it's an interesting question, and I'm not sure that the difference between environmental graphics and architecture is that dissimilar on that end. I Mm -hmm. think there are environmental graphics projects that we know, some of them that I really like actually. Like if you think about Sea Ranch and the kind of amazing super graphics there, like there are definitely ways in which you can photograph that and it looks stunning. Mm -hmm. But there are approaches such as the approach that we took in the case of the Menil, where people will not leave that building after they visited, predominantly remembering the work that we've contributed to it. And that's perfectly fine. We believe that's how it should be for a project like that. It's what we sort of described as like a presence through absence. Like we wanted people to basically find what they want to find without a hassle but also without that overpowering everything else. I think the main actor in this building clearly has to be the art. So in that sense, I wouldn't be frustrated by it. I also think that there's something about also moving through the building and the experience that you have and the way you see it, you can only sort of grasp when you're actually in the space and when you're experiencing the space and... There's hardly ever a way in which you can kind of translate that into an image in print or an image through Instagram or something like that, right? So there are details that you can maybe reproduce, but the actual experience, I think, is probably impossible to reproduce. And I'd say I'm pretty fine with that. And I think it's actually not that dissimilar for some of our architectural projects. Mm-hmm. Like, our projects are not, uh, I would say, sort of first and foremost, iconic form-driven. So so the image, they're not that iconographic so the image cannot be necessarily always reproduced that well and if you for instance take the chicago architecture biennial rooms for books installation that we did two years ago there are ways in which you can take pictures of it and it might look actually quite okay but i think there are aspects to that space like transitioning through the intersection of those two walls and this kind of mirrored space that are just practically impossible to really capture or same with the Studiolo project, this kind of residential space, almost like furniture insert into an existing space. You really have to walk around it or you have to occupy those adjacent spaces in order to understand what it does by merely representing the object. I don't think that allows us to kind of capture the essence of the project.
1: Well, thank you for being on the podcast today, Raito. We really enjoyed chatting with you.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for your interest in our work.
1: For more information on MG and Co.'s work, please visit their website, molletgeyser.com. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. And don't forget to subscribe to our page on your favorite platform to keep up with new releases. I'm your host, Lindsay Chambers, and this has been Tete to